Welcome to the herd and thanks for listening. If you enjoy this sodcast, please like it, share it, give it a good rating and follow and help more people find their way into the Ruminati herd. If you have suggestions for improvements, please let me know. Howdy, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Meet Your Herdmates Sodcast. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Chad Ellis, currently with the Texas Agricultural Lands Trust. And he's joining us from Lone... Lone? Lone, Lone, Texas. Thank you. Yes. You gave me the, yeah. the and and then I said something else, and I shouldn't do that. Lone. So the heart of Texas. That's correct. Yeah. So well, thanks. For, go ahead. No, go please, 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 Peter. So for reference, for people, I, I know everybody should know where Lone, Texas is, but where exactly is it? Yeah, so I mean, Lone, if you looked at on a map of Texas, right in the dead center, uh, kind of we're, we're kind of located in the northern part of McCullough County, uh, right in the right in the heart of Texas. But it's not spelled like Lone it's, Star. No, it's L-O-H-N. Uh, so so it's easy to we, we, we many times people, uh, you know, pronounce it Lawn, Lawn, Texas and uh we always say here in Texas, you know, that there is a law in Texas just outside Abilene. So, um, so it gets a little confusing and that's just not too far down the road itself. So, um, but it's a great place, great place to be and a great place to, uh, to um, have been raised and, and a great community. So great big graduating class at your high school. Yeah, that is correct. You know, so I, I graduated to big class of four, Peter. And I know you're I know you're already laughing and I was the top twenty five percent of the class, <laughs> just so if you're wondering. Now, uh, so yeah, we had, you know, eighty five students, K through twelve. I think they're, you know, pretty close to right about a hundred students today. Um, and so it's a you know a great again it, you know we're a we're a small farm and ranch community um, all based around agriculture. Um, jump ahead just a little bit, but yeah. how has how has loan changed from when you were in high school to today? No, yeah, that's great question, and and I think you know if we look at the landscape across rural America, not just here in loan, not here locally. You know, we see a lot of challenges and, um, you know, I think some of the main challenges that we have, you know, we're facing is the economic challenge in our rural America of just being staying, being able to stay viable as a community. Um, you know, when we think about it and I'm, you know, I'm a prime example, right? Um, you know, you, you, um, you grow up, you graduate, you go off to college. Well, there's not really a, you know, a place to go work and, and move back home in and, and a lot of places. Or, you know, if it's to move back to the farm or ranch, you know, a lot of our farm and ranches can only, you know, really support one family. So you have to kind of, you know, go off and kind of bite your teeth off into something else. And maybe, you know, down the road, you can make it back home. And so, you know, I think there's, those are a lot of challenges. And it's a lot of challenges we face, you know, across rural America, across our landscapes. Um, not just here, um, you know, and I, I think too, you know, it's kind of been interesting. We kind of sit here and think we're in the middle of this pandemic, you know, Peter, and, and there's, 
um, I think, extra pressures in a lot of cases in our rural America that I've seen here in the last nine months. Uh, and just talking to other friends across the country, we're seeing the same thing. You know, one of the things that we're seeing, Peter, is that um, people are realizing they don't have to sit behind a desk, you know, in a uh, glass high rise in, you know, downtown Dallas or Austin or Houston or Chicago, wherever you may live. And, and they're realizing that, you know, with with technologies today that we can sit here and have a conversation as we are today on a podcast of you know, educating and, and informing folks um, from me sitting here alone and you back home. And, and um, so what we're seeing is, I think, actually an added pressure, pressure and that we're seeing more lands even being broke up. People want to be part of the land. I think that's, you know, I think historically we could kind of really get philosophical about how how the America was formed. It was about, you know, owning land and, and farming and these kind of components. And I think we're trying to, people realize they can get to their roots. You know, Peter, I think we're seeing this this dynamic. Uh, we're seeing more and more pressures on our rural landscapes of being fragmented. Yeah. Um, people, people realize that they can, um, you know, own a little piece of property and get outside and enjoy it. And, you know, there's so many, you know, uh, mental and human health reasons why that's great. Um, but at the same time, there's pressures of, you know, you know, we need as this land, you know, to be able to provide, you know, this food fiber and and um, all these other ecosystem services of clean water and all of that and that stewardship component. So we have some challenges ahead of us, and I and I know that as a community, we'll come together and find solutions to some of these these new challenges. So you, your, your bachelor's degree was natural resource management, mm -hmm. right? That's and, right. and, um, you, uh, you had a career goal, but you kind of had to reevaluate what, what's the story with you and a yeah. game warden? Yeah. You know, so growing up, um, kind of where I did, you know, hunting and fishing, it was every day and uh, enjoy it. It's a huge passion of mine. And, um, you know, because really hunting is conservation. You know, that's, that's the thing I have this, I, I definitely have this, um, you know, land ethic and conservation ethic in me. And it's, it's part of my DNA. And so I went to uh, Soul Rocks, kind of far west Texas, kind of in the Big Bend area of Texas, and went uh, really there. Originally, my thoughts was I was, you know, determined uh, Peter, that I wanted to be a game warden because I, you know, just the wildlife in that aspect. And my first semester um, in school, I, I took a wildlife law and a, and a game warden taught that class. And I, you know, I got probably about halfway through that class, Peter, and it realized of, you know, this game warden deal is, uh, it's great and it sounds great, but the busy time of the year is during hunting season or fishing season. And you know, these guys are out actually working and, and aren't getting to hunt and fish um, and those type of things. I was like, well, I got to shift, shift mm -hmm. that. Uh, and so I kind of moved in more of the wildlife biology, natural resource management um, side. Mm. So we've already touched on a couple things mm -hmm. that yeah. I want to come back to, but um, 
you've you've worked in a number of advisory and counseling roles with ranchers over the years mm-hmm. uh farmers and ranchers i guess uh, mm-hmm. to to make it broad so you work for nrcs you work for um the the uh, noble foundation mm-hmm. um and what what sorts of things have you learned by act, working with those people and their families and their operations? Yeah, I mean, Peter. I mean, one thing I've you know I've been very blessed and and um, you know just my experience. So as you mentioned, I you know I worked for Natural Resource Conservation Service and um, kind of that that arm of USDA that's really you know to help those private landowners and managers. Um, worked all over Texas, worked in Florida for a number of years, and then uh, worked at the regional office and kind of worked all over the country. So I've had, you know, um, pretty well have almost worked in every state and worked with producers across the country. And one thing I've learned is that, um, you know, I, I think our, our land managers across the country are uh, undervalued in, in, into the community of really what all they do and what they pr- provide. Um, I think that's one thing I've, I've learned. And then the other thing is, is that um, just like people, we're all different and, and the resources we manage are different. And especially every ranch and farm is has its own uniqueness as we are as individuals. And it really starts with the soil and, and that's really the DNA of those operations, right? Um, you know, I, I guess my, my uh, goal before uh, going to school and wanting to be a game warden was, you know, I, I wanted to be when I was younger, like, right. I always use the analogy of NBA uh, player. Right. But I'm five, seven, that the chances of, you know, the potential of that are, are, are very slim to none, pretty much none. Um, but I enjoyed basketball and, and, you know, I think that's, that's one of the things I, I've found is that we have to really, get in tuned and understand our land and what's the potential of our land and what it can really provide and make sure that that land actually, you know, um, follows into our goals and objectives of land managers. I, I've run across a number of people across the country, especially I would say um, new landowners that have a goal and objectives and they fall in love with the piece of property and say, hey, this is my goal and objective. and you know, unfortunately, the property that they bought will never meet, you know, those goals and objectives. And it's, it's, uh, and it's, it's sad in, in, in some sense um, that it just doesn't match up. So I think that those are some of the key things I've, I've noticed across, you know, across the country. I spoke to one gentleman recently who to- taught me that they're growing bananas in Iceland. Wow. So you can, if you, if you have the resources and they have very cheap electrical power, but again, you do those things and then nature has a way of, uh, the way I put it is nature votes last. So you right. can do whatever you want and then there'll be the response and then you get to deal with it. Um, two important points i think is is one is the role of profitability in any sustainable conversation or conversation mm-hmm. about sustainability and then the mm-hmm. second is what you just touched on which is the role of private land owners in conservation mm-hmm. now where i live we have a lot of public land 
other mm-hmm. states have more than Oregon, but right. um, it's it's a reality here. I don't think that's a reality in Texas, is it? Uh, you know, right. We're we're pretty much a privately you know land owned land or operation. We ninety one percent is privately owned. About eighty three percent is actually working lands or, or ranches and farms in in Texas. So uh, there are a little bit of public lands, but the uh, majority is private. Um, and, and so those privately owned lands are supporting wildlife there. Um, you mentioned ecosystem services, and that's a concept, um, I I think more people need to understand is that proper managed range, ranch, grassland, however we want to define it, ruminant animal agriculture, provides a lot more than meat and milk and byproducts from the animals. Yeah, most definitely. And I think that's, that's kind of the bigger dialogue, Peter. And, and is, you know, I think, you know, every day and and sort of the conversations we just had is that, you know, people are are further and further removed from agriculture. And, And that's just, that's just how, you know, how things are. Right. And, and understanding what these lands provide and ecosystem, you know, goods and services, right? And and we think of automatically think of you know food and fiber and those things, but they provide so so much more, um, you know, of clean water, clean air, open space, um, you know, all of these things that we take for granted. And I think that's the thing is that 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 I and why I mentioned that I think farmers and ranchers are underappreciated. Because they're they're stewarding this land and providing these these goods and services not just for their families but for all of us right through the whole community. I mean, we talk about um, community collaboration. I mean, that's 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 it. It's the definition of of what these these producers are providing. And so, you know, I think we have to to have a you know a connection. I think more and more people are wanting to know where their food comes from. And want want to know that those animals are taken care of, that land's taken care of, and I think we have great opportunities to kind of help bridge some of that gap and and really bring that private land stewardship to that public benefit. And that's the thing that we promote. Um, you know, some recent studies that that just came out this year, Peter, and I don't know if you've had a chance to see this. Um, it was um, from actually based out of California. So there's a, a, rec- a recent research uh, project that just came out of our counterpart of Texas Agricultural Land Trust of the California Range Land Trust and Berkeley. And what they did was looking at uh, the value of ecosystem services. So what they did, Peter, was looked at um, all of these things, right? These lists of all of these goods and benefits that the California Rangeland Trust has under easement and what that's providing, you know, to the community of California. And they're roughly around 300,000 acres is what they have under easement in California. And those 300,000 acres is providing $1.4 billion worth annually to, to the state of California of these ecosystem services. And so it's amazing to kind of think about that and, and talk about a return on investment when we think about easements or, or conservation and some of these components. And I think we've lost that dialogue. So I've just recently started a study with Texas A&M of us looking at the same 
you know, typical, uh, typical method, methodology of looking at what are the values in Texas and, and those, um, those aspects beyond just food and fiber and, and um, things of that nature. So it's, it's pretty amazing to, to kind of start thinking about. And of course, I'll, I'll pull out my soapbox and put it on the ground mm -hmm. and step up yeah. on top of it and yeah. say that most of our conversations have yet to fully incorporate what the research in metabolic health and the role of animal source foods plays in promoting health and thereby yeah. lowering the burden of chronic disease and the the ecological footprint, if you will, of chronic disease and the healthcare. I mean, uh, the the story will get better and better as we get better and better at telling about it. And unfortunately, to a certain extent, we're always playing catch up because people can make claims. And then if the data doesn't exist, we've got to go study and uh, accumulate the data and, and then present the data. And unfortunately, we're too often dealing with people that don't deal with data. They deal with something else. So, um, no, I had not heard of that. Yeah. And I would love to have a link to it and, sure. and uh, include that in notes as well as just learn myself. Um, so um, you've talked about easements and, and you work for the Texas Agricultural Land Trust. Um, describe what the Texas Agricultural Land Trust is about and what you mean by easements. Sure. What's yeah. the purpose? And and also maybe start with another piece of your family history, mm -hmm. which is the loss of your grandfather's ranch, ranch. through a claim. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, um, you know, again, it's about you know, this private land stewardship public benefit and the connectivity of it all. Um, you know, Texas Agricultural Land Trust, um, you know, we're really about conserving our Texas heritage of agricultural uh, lands, wildlife, habitat, and natural resources. We're really about trying to keep working lands working for the benefit, not only for those families, but for all Texans and really beyond. Um, and, and it kind of comes back into these ecosystem services and, and these components. And so it's really important for us to think of, you know, just the dynamics of our increased population, right, is, is increasing, um, you know, and that brings on its own challenges, health, you know, challenges, all, all of these things, you know, it, it's very, uh, you know, when we think about the, the subject, it's very complex and there's a lot of components and it's very much a systems and, and a linkage uh, from one thing to the other, you know, a little bit of history, um, kind of step back a little bit is, is, um, you know, my grandfather, you know, ranched in, um, kind of central Texas as well. And, and, um, you know, back in the early fifties, we had a, a lot of, um, areas in these communities where the Corps of Engineers came in and built, you know, lakes and things for, for water resources, as well as for flooding control back to the towns and and that you know kind of happened across you know all of the U.S. and so you know unfortunately for for him um, you know he ended up where um, the piece of property and the ranch that he had ended up being over laid over into a to a lake um, that's that's still there today that so you know had some of this eminent domain components of 
basically having to sell. And it kind of became, and he was, you know, in his fifties, well in his fifties at that time. And so it was kind of this deal of, you know, what do I do? And, um, uh, so it was just sort of those dynamics. And, and so it's, you know, I've heard those stories growing up and, and it becomes, it's become very passionate to me of how do we, you know, keep families on the, on the land and providing, you know, all of these, these benefits for us. Um, and so that's, that's one thing that really brought me to the Texas Agricultural Land Trust is, is the mission of keeping working lands working. Um, one of our bread and butter tools, Peter, is a easement, which uh, easement is basically, um, you know, a, a, the easiest way to say it, it's a, it's a real estate transaction in a sense, right? So uh, on an easement, we, you can basically donate or purchase development rights off those ranches, and it helps that family kind of keep the, the operation intact. It keeps that development aspects, and it keeps those working lands working. And so that's one of our, our main tools, but we're also working on trying to keep adding tools to the toolbox to help empower the producer. And some of those are looking at these ecosystem service markets. So being able to try to help pay for carbon sequestration, water quality, biodiversity, all some of these ecosystem services that we've already discussed. Excellent. Um, so what development pressure i i have had a couple of occasions to drive up and down the front range of colorado uh -huh. um and you see a lot of land that once was agricultural land that now has been developed into subdivisions and, yeah. and whatever the right description is. And, and in Colorado, apparently you can sell water rights separate from the land. And in many cases, the water becomes more valuable than the land itself. And then the development takes place. So obviously that land never comes back to agriculture. Um, it tends to occur on productive lands. So not so much on the marginal lands, although to a certain extent. Um, and then of course, if you're farming and now you're surrounded by this, even though your land hasn't been developed, the pressures become so great that it's almost impossible to resist or to continue farming. And so um, this, again, is something I think too few people recognize when we talk about loss of agricultural lands due to erosion, degradation, but development is a huge pressure that needs to be included in there as well. Yeah, most definitely. I think those are, you know, it's, uh, it, there is a lot of pressures in that. You know, when we look at just Texas alone, um, We've lost 2.2 million acres of our working lands since 1997. We've lost a one and a half million in the last five years. And so you think of that conversion rate, right? So we do some quick math, you know, right? Basically, I'm close to one and a half million. We're, we're losing around 1,300 acres a, a day. Hmm. And we think of then the, the pressures of our population increase in Texas is around 1,300 people daily. So, so when we had, you, you add that combination, that's a deadly combination. Um, 
I always say, Peter, unfortunately, Texas is winning this race across all of the states in the U.S. It's a race I wish we weren't winning, um, and but we have to come up with solutions. And I think the first part of that is is really education and understanding, you know, uh, the responsibility that we all have and play on some of the things that you mentioned of, you know, if we are expanding and we need to build and all those things, we need all that, right? We need the economic sustainability of our, our of our city's forces. But there's a right way to do that. And some of that is actually looking at where's the proper lands, you know, can can we develop in, you know, maybe not as productive um, of a agricultural productive uh, lands and how do we start doing that and looking at it. And, you know, unfortunately, when we think of some of our subdivisions, they're they're, uh, you know, everybody wants a little bit bigger yard of, you know, one acres, five acres, but then all of a sudden we're, you know, we're, we're tying up a lot of those properties um, that, that hurts us in the long run as well. Mm-hmm. And of course, um, the permeability and infiltration rate on asphalt and concrete is not <laughs> that great. And so it now not good. <laughs> it, it, it influences watershed behavior um, yes. to a great degree, as as we've discovered, unfortunately, um, in a couple instances recently. Um, so we've run into each other over the years in a number of uh, situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them was a conversation about sustainable beef, which where we met, I think, at that one time was was a, a global uh, effort to bring people from across the, the, the realm. And I do the realm, the world. Sure. I do remember uh, you being on a panel with a gentleman from Alberta and somebody from mm-hmm. Ireland and somebody from yeah. uh, Southern <laughs> Africa, yeah. which – yeah, cattle everywhere. Um, <clears throat> but let's – too many people hear the word sustainability, and mm-hmm. I flippantly have said that too often those conversations are really about sustainable. Um, it, it, we're, we're putting a label on something, so we don't really mm-hmm. understand it. We feel better about it. And unfortunately, some people are against it knee-jerk reaction. Some people are for it, knee-jerk reaction, and there's just not a lot of understanding in the middle. So if we could spend a little time exploring the components that have to be part of any realistic conversation about, in this case, sustainable beef, Mm -hmm. and um, then we can sort of develop through there. Yeah, no, I think that's a, I mean, it's a great point. I think you know, it's, it's, um, there's probably, we could look and there's probably a thousand different definitions of what sustainability is, right? And unfortunately, that's where it makes it a little messy. Um, and, and then, you know, I think, you know, we're seeing more and more of a movement, which I'm ex- extremely excited about. It's kind of this regenerative agriculture, right? And you have those folks that are really thinking about that, that, you know, sustainability just means to sustain where you're at, right? It's, it's status quo in, a, in essence. And, and, you know, it's the aspect of regenerative. It's actually growing. And, you know, and, and I, have, I, I guess I have always agreed with that 100%. And I've always looked at those sustainability and kind of my definition is about being better tomorrow than you are today, right? It's a journey, not a destination. 
And it, and it, it, it really is based around those kind of the three legs, right? The economics, the environmental, and the social piece. And, and it's not just one leg. It's about all three and the connectivity of all three. And it's more of a systems uh, approach and looking at all of that holistically. So I think, you know, in essence, we can put the word aside and just come to, you know, what is our mission and where do we want to be? And I guarantee you will have agreement um, you know, nine out of 10 times, right? There's always going to be the, the one person that's never going to agree. And, and, and you can't worry about that person. You got to, you know, let's all come together and, and keep moving, moving forward. So I think that's, you know, that's how we start the conversation in my mind um, about that. And it, it's the, the struggle is to find those objective measures and then of, of whatever segment we're we're focusing on there, there right. has to be something that allows a manager to manage towards goals there has to be something for the rest of society to understand these are the measurable outcomes um and i'm i'm a little concerned in some quarters i hear conversations that go along the lines of producers ought to be rewarded for our practices, but we can't measure the outcomes. And that gets a little too yeah. squishy for my comfort zone. Um, there has to be some way, whether it's soil quality, whether it's measuring sedimentation in surface waters, whether it's some assessment of efficiency, so getting at um, emissions, uh, non, you know, the. It, there's got to be something. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, we're just engaged in more of a feelings conversation. And, and I agree with you. Really, it's, you know, I, you know, I wake up each and every day wanting to empower the next producer, right? That's, that's my passion. And we don't know where we're going if we don't know where we are, right? And so it takes measurement and, and really thinking about those, those outcomes, outcome-based um, is important. And we have to set those not only individually, but I think you know, it needs to stack across the value chain and across, um, you know, a, a bigger group of us from a producer perspective. So um, I agree 100% with you. I think we just have to come to agreement what that is. And I think, you know, I think today we're getting closer and closer to that. I think one is technology helps. You know, we have the ability where I think technology will help us be able to measure some of these outcomes quicker and easier and cheaper. Um, and, and that's what's going to really drive change. But I think we have to think about it from a, from a you know, I'll put my producer hat on. You, you know, we can't measure 100 things, right? We don't have enough, you know, uh, enough daylight in the day to do our business and then measure those things. But what are the key five things? What are the key six things that really make a difference and that we really should be striving towards? And, and so that's what we need to focus. And I think that's where we need some of our research to help us, you know, really kind of help define what are those those kind of key, key things uh, to move us forward. Hmm. So I would imagine that the majority of people listening still at this point um, are not coming from an agricultural background, um, mm -hmm. but 
that's the public. <laughs> the vast right, majority right, right. Uh, of the American public today are not. Where are there resources or organizations, one that you would recommend for people to just learn more, and two, if they wanted to get involved, if there are efforts and organizations that are um, doing work on the ground, you should pardon the expression, um, that people from non-agriculture communities are welcome to join in and, and participate and learn more by that. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question and it's a difficult one because there's a lot of a lot of work out there and where do you start and how do you kind of wrap your head and arms around, you know, some of this. Um, but, you know, I think I think some of it is starting to, to listen to conversations like this and, and um, that we're having, I, I think, is one good way to just hear other, you know, organizations and other thoughts and kind of start digging through that Um you know, like you and many, many others, and probably all of the list, your listeners, is we all wear many, many hats. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as myself, I wear, you know, many hats. And, um, you know, as the CEO of TALTS and um, the chairman of the National Grazing Land Coalition, I think is a great organization of really it's, um, you know, it's, it's about, you know, it's a producer-led organization, but at the same time, we're trying to to show the benefits of the stewardship of our grazing lands and what it means to to everyone. And so, there's it's a good resource to kind of understand that side of the business. The U.S. Roundtable for Sustainable Beef, which we've talked a little bit about, you know, is really looking at the full value chain of beef sustainability. And there's a lot of good information um, through that organization and ways that you can, you know, participate and, and listen to, you know, uh, some different meetings and conversations there. Um, you know, I think some of the aspects of talking about these land trends and, and components of that, there's a um, Texas land trends is a, is a, uh, have, has its own website and information and dialogue, which is a really great. And I try to encourage everybody to go there to understand, um, you know, this, this, the big why, but, you know, in this big, you know, issue that we have coming ahead of us and, and where we all, you know, have some responsibility and how we all can help um, in this fragmentation and these components. Um, it's it's with Texas A&M. And then I think too, um, I think American Farmland Trust is another great resource, Peter. Uh, they have some good studies called um, Farms Under Threat is a new study, which is looking at land trends across the U.S., not just Texas. And, and it puts some dialogue of one is the, um, the fragmentation, but also looking at the policy within the state and have some scorecards and some other pieces. It's another great resource to kind of look at um, some areas um, on that as well. And we could also add land-grant universities, cooperative yep. extension service. We could also add the NRCS for landowners. Um, yes, a lot, a lot of information and and um, technical information for people to learn more about the land that they might own. Um, so there's lots of resources available to people. Um, encourage people to find those. Um, so if you had the chance to talk to the 98% of Americans that aren't involved in agriculture directly, I mean, is production agriculture, 
Um, is there something that you'd like them to hear beyond what you've already said in terms of a message from the people that you've worked with and for that are on the land and providing the, the services and the food and fiber? Yeah, I appreciate that question, Peter. I think, you know, the things that pop in my mind is, um, you know, soil and water conservation starts where the first raindrop falls. And we kind of break that down. And that was actually LBJ kind of brought that, um, that statement in, in the early 40s in, in the sense of when we think about where that raindrop goes and it hits the ground, you know, a lot of that is hitting on our grazing lands, right? Our grazing lands that provide um, this ruminant um, aspect of, of herding and, and brings, a, you know, basically a, a great red protein and things. But those lands, uh, we can't go in and, you know, really eat grass ourselves and things of that nature that those provide. But they're so valuable, not only from that, that high quality protein that, that feeds us, but also this, you know, our, our clean water and uh, clean air and all these ecosystem services that are provided. And, you know, it really starts with the land stewards of those lands. And those are private landowners. Those are also some of our public land managers that are, are, that are you know, uh, managing these lands. And so it's all important and it's all inclusive. Um, and we need to support, support you know, those individuals um, from that perspective of buying products, understanding you know, just telling them how much we do appreciate them. And, you know, I think that's some of our lives are busy and, and uh, we don't really tell, tell our farmers and ranchers we appreciate all the hard work and sacrifices that they do to provide to our families mm. in, in many, many ways. Yeah, and I think the last few months, our worlds have gotten a little smaller. And uh, yeah. uh, one thought that occurs to me is people may not understand fully the role of grazing animals in maintaining the health and productivity of grasslands, that they, they look at it somehow as a negative to graze when in fact, yeah. if we don't, they degenerate. Eager. That's correct. Yeah. I mean, when we think about, we just look about our, our grasslands across, you know, across the world, not just the U.S., but there's the ecological processes that are happening each and every day, right? You know, we, our grasses are, are these, you know, green open solar panels that are taking this energy from the sun and bringing that back in, uh, you know, back in through the roots into the soil. There's this, you know, energy cycle, there's mineral cycles, there's, you know, water cycles, there's all these ecological processes across our landscape to keep them healthy. And, you know, our landscapes were, you know, developed way, way before us with, with grazing animals. And, and so the grazing component is, needing, is needed to, to keep those processes in place. I say grazing and fire. And, and so we overlook that. And unfortunately, we've put fences and we've, you know, we, we live in a different world, but we can't, you know, move beyond and forget about the proper way of, 
of managing those landscapes and what those landscapes provide us. And so it's really important for us to understand in the community. And as you mentioned, you know, um, cities kind of expanding, you know, into some of our farm and ranching communities that put pressure on those farmers and ranchers. We need to understand that and understand, um, you know, and respect of, of, you know, their processes of that stewardship and, and understand, you know, fire is a good example. And there's a culture that has to go beyond just the farmers and ranchers, but, but to the full community to, to appreciate and understand that. Uh, so, and unfortunately we're seeing more and more wildfires and things, you know, across the landscape because we've taken some of those tools out, um, out of the landscape. So, um, it's, ecology is messy and it's, it's, it's complex. <laughs> ecology is messy. There's the tag. Um, I, I do remember also a story that I got from a physician in Montana that basically, you know, the end of that story is cows come first. That, that he had a patient that was re refusing admission to the hospital because he had to take care of the cows that night. He'd be back in the morning. He'd right. make arrangements for people to take care of his cows, but he hadn't done that. And so they needed him. The animals depend on him. And that kind of a mindset, I also think, isn't well appreciated. No. Um, and, and so this and, and the other thing that that strikes me as something I don't know, and that is the, the thought of walking across a piece of land that your great your grandfather or your great grandfather walked across and and the idea that people would knowingly degrade that right is is it's hard for me to make those two things line up um, now when we know better hopefully we do better and we're learning more as we go along um, so, so those are a couple, they're not, un, they're not universal across the farming community. I mean, those, the, the, there are differences and, and, and not, you know, there is the joke about the only way you get into agriculture is you marry into it or you inherit it. Um, yeah, yeah. some truth, but. Yeah. There are other ways, and so you you have, uh, uh, like you say, very different people involved, and but but some of those things do kind of frequently show up. No, you're right. So I mean, I think unfortunately, you know, the the dynamics of people are different, and what makes us different. Um, unfortunately, we have some people that look at land as a commodity, right? And sort of kind of like you mentioned this. You know, you you overuse it, you you kind of abuse it. Those those type of things that we'll, we can get more, and and then you have some that when we look at land as a community, uh, it, it changes, right? And we can we we understand the 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 um, dynamics of how it, it it's you know um, goes actually kind of the tagline I use is beyond the fence line, right? That that land actually provides for our families of a but it also provides, you know, beyond the fence line to downstream to the, to the community of all of these factors we've talked about of, you know, food and water and open space and all of those things. So, you know, again, it's around about that land ethic and, and that stewardship ethic that we have. 
Well, and be, because so few people are so productive in the sense of their food production for the rest of society, we don't have to have the agrarian-based society that we had 200 years ago or 120 years ago, whatever time frame we want to look at. Um, and it would be hoped that then the people that are freed from having to do that work to feed themselves on a 24-hour-a-day basis can do other work that contributes to the betterment of society. And so you, you've, you've had this specialization and separation, and hopefully it leads to advancement. Um, I do think about the, the contrast between, say, agriculture pre-World War I Mm -hmm. And agriculture now, where in we were still at the beginning of the 20th century, we weren't doing a good job of replacing nutrients. We hadn't really become conscious of soil erosion. What we were doing was we were depleting land and then moving on. Right. Um, and, and certainly that drove a lot of westward movement from colonial times through civil war times. Um, and, and, and so people have an idea of what it once was, and it tends to be very romantic and frequently gets confused with what they think it ought to be today without understanding some of the nittier, grittier aspects of it. No, I think it's a good point. And I, th I think there's a, that romantic, you know, aspect of what land is. I think when we think about it, we think of, you know, um, what is it? The, uh, I think of the painting of uh, the, uh, what do they call it? The extension agent, right? Mm -hmm. If you remember, if you remember that Rockefeller uh, old painting Rockwell. of Rockwell, yeah. pa a painting where, you know, you have the extension agent kind of sitting there uh, over the, the, the little blonde girl with her 4-H book right? And there's chickens and horses and the family all around it. And that's, you know, when we think about it, I think in some sense, we, we have this disconnect and that's what we think it, how agriculture should be. And that it's just, um, and, and unfortunately, you know, with technologies and things and, and the dire need of being able to feed, you know, this increasing population, um, you know, we, agriculture looks different today and, and it needs to, to be able to, to um, sustain um, our population, as well as, um, you know, taking care of the land and all of those things. And, um, you know, I think we just have to bridge and, and have a better communication. I think, unfortunately, we're really good about talking to ourselves or to our peers. And we keep our conversations to our peers because that's what's comfortable to us. That's, you know, who we can relate to. And I think we all need to do a little better job of, you know, stepping outside of our, you know, comfort zone and talking you know, to, to other peers and having these dialogues in a, in a, um, in a productive manner. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, the little red barn is, yes. um, a cliche. And I was thinking just, um, 
earlier today. Um, growing up in Pennsylvania, you know, the great big old barns, um, those were actually machines. They were designed mm -hmm. for a time, for functions. Um, they no longer fit. Um, it's, it, 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 they actually, if you can take the romance out of them, they weren't an efficient use of resources. Um, when you look at the wood that went, I mean, marvel at the workmanship, but when you look at the amount of wood to build that barn, right. as opposed to materials that are available today. And I do admit it's, it's sad to drive across rural America and see the remnants of the farmsteads, um, and, and all that that represents. Um, I hope that a significant amount of that represents the opportunity for subsequent generations to advance and maybe go off to college and maybe acquire mm -hmm. education and employment opportunities that wouldn't have existed for them back on that subsistence level farm. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Peter, and I think one we overlook, and one thing that I appreciated my time with the Noble uh, Foundation is the promotion of agriculture and science, and science of agriculture and STEM, of, uh, you know, we would have thousands and thousands of students that came through the foundation every year, and, you know, I, I think your point is well taken in that we can still be part of the solution and come up with solutions and help the dynamics and still be part of agriculture. We don't have to sit behind a tractor or, you know, own a farm or a ranch. There's lots of places for our, for our youth and our future generations to play a role and a crucial role of, you know, keeping, keeping food on the table and keeping our landscapes healthy. And, and I, continue to advocate for people to cast their eyes overseas because there's yeah, a yeah. tremendous need around the world to um, allow for the flourishing of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. So I've been asking you a bunch of questions. Um, it's only fair to let you turn the tables <laughs> if, you, if you'd like to. Sure. No, I appreciate it, Peter, and I've always appreciated over the years, you know, us having these conversations, and it's great. To, you know, I'm I'm excited to you starting your podcast to be able to share these conversations, you know, to a, a broader group, and um, and so it's uh, exciting to me. I guess one of the questions, you know, that I have, and I, I know we've talked about it in the past, is, you know, what are the I would say from your perspective, what are the top three challenges that we face in the next five years from your perspective? Hmm. Good question. Um, I am concerned about the role of interest groups in opposing animal source food consumption and production. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I'm concerned that they will have louder voices in the next few years unless we get better at putting out, we don't necessarily have to argue back, but just communicate so that people have access to all the information. Um, closely tied to that is the message that says the production, well, it's part of it, the production of animal source food is inherently damaging to the environment and damaging to a degree that 
other forms of food production are not. Um, I, I, I think that that has the potential to very quickly manifest itself in policy that will harm especially ruminant animal agriculture. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I think we just, the, the, there's lots yeah. of research available. We got to get better at communicating that to the, the rest. Um, I, I'm of mixed emotions about the whole analog market um, for the, the, the faux products. Um, and it's, it's really quite, it's, it's an interesting topic because so many of the arguments in their favor really don't have merit. Um, health claims, environmental claims, nutritional claims, none of them really stand up to good scrutiny. Now, if somebody wants to eat them, fine. I mean, it's America. I understand right. marketing. Um, and I don't know how much that will ever really be a threat. Although there are people who have very candidly said that they want to eliminate animal agriculture by 2030, 2035, right. whatever the number is. So, I, and these people have a voice and they have funding. And so they need to be taken at their word. You know, somebody yeah. says they want to destroy you, you know, yeah. take them serious, I think. Um, so those are some of the things I'm um, um, you said the next five years, unfortunately, I see the dietary guidelines not shifting in the United States, which means that all of the policies that have to align themselves with the dietary policies aren't going to shift. Um, I argue, among many other people argue that those dietary policies need to shift. And I also try to make people aware of just how much those dietary policies influence agricultural policies. Mm -hmm. And so that's a concern. Um, you know, in five years, will we be facing a new reality as far as the people that process and therefore the next round of, of dietary guidelines? Meanwhile, we've got um, the vast majority of adult Americans are, are no longer healthy, metabolically speaking. Right. That, that, right. That's where we've gotten to. So I'm concerned about our agricultural communities where so many of these are multi-generation sort of operations. And that becomes an issue, um, you know, rural health care. Um, our healthcare system is not sustainable. And so, again, I mentioned earlier, I want mm -hmm. that to be brought into the conversation in some way. Um, many very sincere people who are in that space explicitly bring along the received wisdom of dietary advice. And I even see that in the sustainability space within the beef industry. That too, mm -hmm. uh, I, I, so I, I hope that over the next five years, we can get more people to internalize the information that's coming out of the research and clinical experience of researchers in, and and physicians and other who are working in this that space 
And, and again, I think it's really, really, really good news. It's the best news I can imagine that we can address all of these issues by following one course. And unfortunately, the bad news is if we follow <laughs> the current course, I don't see us getting there. Mm -hmm. uh, those are all great points and all huge challenges and uh, uh, enough work ahead of us for sure. <laughs> Um, mm. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And it's, yeah. it's not yeah. any one of us, and it's bigger than no. any one of us, and it's exactly. probably that, bigger than us. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's the that's the point that I was going to make, too, Peter, is that the connectivity of how, you know, um, what I would say, soil health, land health, human health, disconnected, connective, you know, they're all connected. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's, you know, um, and it's hard to wrap your head around that. It's hard to wrap your head around just one of those components and knowing that they're all connected. And um, so um, it's going to take a lot of us uh, kind of pulling on the same rope in the same direction, for sure. Yeah, well, like you said, ecology is messy. <laughs> and, <right. laughs> and, and yes, there are a lot of us and we need more. Mm -hmm. um, but it is all across the world, there are people who are working in these sorts of fields. And we're very, we're, we're better at talk, like you said, we're better at talking within our discipline or within our tribe yep. than we are outside. outside. But we, we need to get past that. And maybe one of the things that'll come out of 2020 is things like this. Just more people learning that there are these other sources and there's information available and there are people doing work that we didn't know about before. And, and, and mm -hmm. so hopefully down the road that will bear fruit. I think it will. I think there's, you know, we got to, I'm always a glass half full, right? And there's a lot of silver linings I think 2020 will bring. And I think some of that's exactly what you said. So. Well, and as somebody to... pointed out to me, the class is refillable. That's right. right? Yeah. And yeah. and we're dealing with when when we're dealing with ruminant animal agriculture, and I know that you're dealing with in, mm -hmm. in Texas Agricultural Land Trust, you're dealing with all agricultural land. Uh, right. I shouldn't be, you know, so yeah. myopic yeah. that I'm all, but again, it, it's not either or land no. livestock no. cropping, it's all integrated. Correct. Just looks a little different. Um, but with the ruminant animal agriculture, we're closest to being these systems that can uh, operate using appropriate levels of inputs from land that can't provide human right. edible food in a way that doesn't just maintain, but it can actually enhance the environment for wildlife, for society. Um, yeah. So I, I consider that really good news. That is good news. <laughs> thank you for your time. Um, thank you for what you've been doing. I look forward to the next time that we can get together and uh, at, a, at an actual meeting. And <laughs> That'd be great. It'd be great to, to, to uh, catch up again and face to face. And, uh, you know, maybe hopefully before then, but our National Grazing Lands uh, coalition conference is coming up this coming December um, in, in Myrtle Beach, and that'd be a great place to meet and hopefully, you know, have you speak again at that conference and uh, love to have you and, and, and hopefully we'll see each other way before December 
fingers crossed. And, you know, maybe I would also like to, you know, invite you to, to my podcast beyond the fence line that we host and have this same kind of conversation as well. So thank you again, Peter, for, for uh, the invite and the, more importantly, the conversation. It's my pleasure. I'd be happy to, and I already have my plans about Myrtle Beach. So, <laughs> Great. Um, yeah. so um, good health, and until then, take care. Thank you.